Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. My guest today is Mark Roderick, one of the leading crowdfunding and fintech lawyers in the industry. His blog is crowdfundattny.com, where he shares a wide range of tips and examples on how to be successful in the equity crowdfunding space. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Wonderful to be here today. It's a lot of fun. My audience now is familiar with rewards-based crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, but many aren't as familiar with equity-based crowdfunding, and that's your specialty. Can you kind of talk about uh, a little bit of the difference, and then you've talked about three flavors of that equity-based crowdfunding. You can kind of educate my audience about what that means. I would be more than happy to try. Okay, okay so rewards-based as as your audience knows, is exactly what the name implies. Um, You give money, but you're giving it. And in exchange, you just get a sort of token reward, not anything of great economic value. You might get a baseball cap or, um, you know, if if you're making a donation to some product, you might get the promise that if you donate enough, then you get one of the products if and when it's developed. But um, you're not making an investment. You are you are giving money to something that you believe deserves money. The um, the equity side of the equation is completely different. Uh, on the equity side of the equation, you are not making a donation. You are making an investment. You expect a financial return, um, and that financial return can be anything from well, I'm lending money, and I just expect get my principal and interest back, or I'm making a stock investment, and if this company you know, becomes the next Facebook, I expect to get wealthy. And then there are all kinds of uh, hybrid kinds of securities in between those two. But in any case, you are, you are making an investment, just as you could make an investment you know, through an online brokerage firm and buy stock of Facebook directly. Now I have a I have a question um, I have a question about that because okay. that so the rewards based crowdfunding has been around for a while Kickstarter Indiegogo but this equity based crowdfunding a lot of people have asked me well why haven't we always been able to do that why is this kind of not new but it is semi new isn't it well here's what's new about it and that's an excellent question it's not that investing is new of course we've been able to invest forever what's new is the ability to invest in small companies that you wouldn't otherwise know about because they have been able to advertise. So let me jump back 80 years or so. The U.S. securities laws were all enacted during the 1930s by President Franklin Roosevelt and Speaker of the House Sam Rayburn from Texas in in reaction to the, to the Great Depression. Um, So all of our securities laws date back to that period. And one of the foundations of our securities laws for the last 85 years has been that there were two kinds of companies, public companies and private companies. And public companies like Facebook or old-fashioned General Motors, companies that have gone to the trouble and expense of filing this enormous registration package with the SEC, those companies could, could advertise. 
But private companies, which by number, of course, outnumber public companies hugely, um, private companies could not advertise for capital. So whether we're talking about, you know, the Steve Jobs uh, and and Wozniak in their garage forming this little company called Apple Computer, how do we raise capital? Well, they had to, like every other small entrepreneur, you know, go to their friends and family or their lawyer or their accountant. Who do you know? They were not allowed you know, to take out a television advertisement or, or a, a radio advertisement. And this has been a foundation of our securities laws, I say, for the last 85 years. The JOBS Act, now I'm going to get around to finally answering your question. The JOBS Act in 2012 changed that. The JOBS Act said even private companies, little private companies, can advertise in their efforts to raise capital. So now, all the companies that want to be the next Apple computer can put up a website and potentially reach not just their friends and family and lawyers and accountants, but every investor in the entire world, every investor on earth. And that, that's not an exaggeration. So that's what changed. Investing is old, but the ability of small companies to advertise and therefore, the ability of ordinary Americans to find out about and invest in these small companies, all of that is brand new and dates back to 2012. Interesting, because I remember when lawyers didn't used to be able to advertise their services. Right? Well, that is true. That's kind of a different story. It's not a matter of securities laws. It's a matter of professional ethics. Yeah, it used to be, you know, you know lawyers were, well, we're a profession, not a business. Right. But that got that got changed some time ago. So one of the fundamental changes then is that you now can, if I want to raise money, I can now tell just anybody. I don't have to go through accredited uh, investors. I can just throw it out there and then anybody can line up and give me money. But it sounds like based on the research I've done and, and some of the work that I've read from you, it's not quite that easy, though, is it? It, it can be, but it isn't always. So. Okay. I, as, as I always say, you know, there's a huge number of uh, special legal rules around equity crowdfunding, and that's good because otherwise no one would have to hire me. Right. But but the um, the the big picture is, you know, really what equity crowdfunding is. It's just the Internet having come to the uh, investment world with the Internet doing what it does, directly connecting buyers and sellers and getting rid of middlemen and cutting costs. But but anyway, to answer your question, yes, there are um, very uh, careful, calculated, special rules that apply to each type of crowdfunding. And to make sure you, you know, comply with the law, you, you got to look. You can't just go out and say, here's, you know, let me run to the mall and start asking people for money. Um, you you have to follow these rules. And as you alluded to earlier, there are three what I call flavors or types of crowdfunding, and each one of them has its own set of rules. And so, the, and you referred to those as uh, basically titles. I think you and I had talked, uh, Title II, Title III, those are the different flavors. Can you yes. help us understand that? Because I've looked into it a little bit, and I have to admit, I, it, sometimes it gets a little confusing for me. Yes, 
absolutely. And, and, and I will say in, in one of my few moments of self-promotion here, but one of the things on my blog, one of the first things I ever wrote on my blog was this crowdfunding cheat sheet, I call it. And it is a chart. It's a very simple one-page chart that shows the different types of crowdfunding and their kind of summarizes the rules for each. So you don't have to remember anything I'm saying. You just have to look at that chart. But anyway, when laws are passed in the United States, they are often broken up into different pieces because they're too long, obviously, to just be one piece. And it just so happens that the, the pieces of a law are referred to as titles of the law. It's just a word. It, you know, you could call it a chapter or anything else. It just happens to be called a title. So the Jobs Act created three kinds of crowdfunding, and we refer to them as Title II, Title III, and Title IV, not for any esoteric or sophisticated reason. It's just that's the part of the Jobs Act in which they appear. So very briefly, Title II crowdfunding is um, just like your many of your listeners may be familiar with old-fashioned syndications, old-fashioned private placements, those are two words used synonymously, um, with the exception being that Title II crowdfunding under the JOBS Act, only accredited investors are allowed to invest. And accredited investors, many of your listeners may know what that is. It used to mean a wealthy person. That's the way to think about it. But the the definition is as an individual, if you earn at least 200000 a year or 300 with your spouse or have a net worth of a million dollars. So that's Title II crowdfunding. Wild, wild west in general, anything goes, let the buyer beware. Um, as long as the only people who invest are accredited investors. And that is far and away the most, by volume, the biggest um, type of crowdfunding. So that's Title II. Title III, a totally different animal. Um, very limited. A company can only invest or raise up to about a million dollars a year. The amount every investor can invest is also strictly limited. But the difference being, the good difference, Non-accredited investors can participate. So Title II crowdfunding, only accredited can participate. Title III, everyone can participate, but it's very strictly limited. And then Title IV, also a different animal. Um, Title IV is most like a full-blown public offering. In Title IV crowdfunding, a company can raise up to $50 million a year. It can raise it from both accredited and non-accredited investors, but to do that, it has to go through a pretty long and pretty expensive approval process with the SEC. So all three titles are up and running, all three slowly but surely gaining more and more traction. Again, it's just the internet, and just as the internet sort of uh, takes over, starts to dominate. Uh, you know, the industries in which it is introduced. I think that's going to happen in crowdfunding as well. So that's interesting because my audience, often many of them participate in, like you said, the rewards-based crowdfunding. And they're going to ask a question because 
several of my guests have been on the show who have raised three, four million dollars in their 30 days of running their campaign uh, in exchange, as you said, for that reward. They, they get that product back. Do you have a reason why would they want to go and participate in this type of crowdfunding to raise money? Uh, for Would it be a Title II or a Title III that they would look for? If they've got a small company, they've put out a, a hot product, is there a reason that they would want to do that instead of the, the, the format they're using with an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter campaign? Well, it's a great question. I mean, if you can get someone to give you $4 million in exchange for a baseball cap, do that for sure. <laughs> Right. You know, um, it, it, I think human nature that people are more likely to give you four million dollars if you give them something, you know, some kind of investment in yep. return, either a promise to give them their money back plus interest or a stake in the company or something. So, yeah, I mean, if if you can raise money on Indiegogo, the same amount of money, by all means, uh, do that. There, there's no there's no intrinsic benefit to giving away pieces of your company or, or having investors. Um, now, I will say that, um, I don't know about a lot, but a fair number of companies view Indiegogo or Kickstarter as a stepping stone to an equity crowdfunding campaign. I would agree so with they that. Might, they might raise a relatively limited amount, $30,000, $50,000 on Kickstarter, but... Um, if they're able to do that, it kind of proves in some way it's a proof of concept. Yes. And then having done that, they might jump to a Title three or a Title uh, two raise. As between, let's say, Title two and Title three, Title two because it only involves accredited investors, is always um, is always less expensive and faster. Um, and so if you know accredited investors who will invest in your um, in your business, it's always easier to just deal with accredited investors. However, there are some businesses that are like uniquely qualified to, to do Title III raises. And for one of those kinds of businesses it, breweries, you know, the the, the yeah. local the craft brewery has been found tremendous success because, really? you know, it just it's a it's a very uh, personal kind of people are making an investment. Are they really making an investment um, or they really want that reward? You know, they want to get a free beer every Thursday night or something like that. And so they're. So yeah. equ equity funding is doing very well. And I know real estate, we've talked about real estate in the past, but for breweries, breweries are doing well raising money through crowdfunding. Using Title III. Using yeah. Title III. That's right. And other examples, kind of more serious examples of a Title III, um, maybe appropriate company. Let's say you, you are uh, trying to develop a cure for cystic fibrosis or breast cancer or something like that. Uh, something that really touches people's hearts. Um, a company like that may find greater and quicker success using Title III because you can appeal to everyone, you know, to accredited and non-accredited investors. 
And people who have been affected by a disease like cystic fibrosis or breast cancer, and that's a lot of people, you know, may their interest in the company, in other words, goes beyond an investment return, just like the craft brewery, but in a more serious way. Whereas if that company trying to develop the cystic fibrosis treatment appeals only to accredited investors, you know, only something like one or 2% of the American population is accredited. So you're vastly limiting the number of people that are allowed to participate. And those accredited investors really just might be looking at the economics, you know, more than the emotional tug. So you you do have to, you know, think through what the best raise may be. And I guess I'll just end my answer with this. It is legally possible to do both at the same time, Title II and Title III, but only if you jump through a lot of hoops. Got it. You bring up an interesting thing, though, and that is uh, the the approach that a, a seasoned investor has versus somebody who's being tugged, their heartstrings are being tugged, so to speak. Um, and one of the things I read in on one of your blogs was the idea about a minimum offering and then the warning about offering too little because it might drive away some of those serious investors. And I was interesting, I was interested to know kind of your thoughts on that, about setting a, a number too low because on the rewards base, I see it all the time. Uh, somebody sets a $10,000 goal because they know that they can reach that goal really quick. And then they have this artificial sense of momentum because, oh, look, we funded in 24 hours. Um, right. But you talk about how it can drive away some of those serious investors. What do you mean by that? Well, this is this is what I mean. So so what we're talking about in Title III, um, the law requires the company raising money to set a so-called target amount. This is the amount that we're trying to raise. And the legal significance of that number is that if the company doesn't raise its target amount, it has to give everyone's money back. Okay. Um, And so what, (laughs) what companies are doing is setting artificially low target amounts. Uh, And, and the number that many people are setting is, $10,000. $10,000. So, you know, we're only, we only need to raise $10,000. Once we raise 10000 we don't have to give people their money back. We can start spending money. This is not how it was supposed to work. So the, the concept of target amount um, comes from a much more general investment concept that has always been used for private offerings. And that is the company raising money would tell investors how much money it needs to, you know, have a minimally viable business. In something like real estate, it's obvious. Like, we need a million dollars to buy that apartment building. So we're trying to raise a million dollars. And it almost goes without saying that if we don't raise a million dollars, we got to give everyone their money back. Because if we need a million and we only raise $800,000, your $800,000 just went down the drain. We don't have a business. It's most obvious with something like real estate, but it's equally true for other businesses. If you have a tech company, for example, and you need to raise a million dollars under your business plan, you need to, you know, you need to get five patents. You need to hire a CFO and a CEO. You need to spend $400,000 marketing. And if you don't do that, you don't have a business. The minimum 
viable offering for that tech company is a million dollars. But what's happening in Title III too often is that tech company is going to market in with a target amount of $10,000. So even though it needs a million, it's, it's kind of stacking the deck so that it can start spending investor money if it only reaches 10000 And in the short term, companies are having some success doing that because investors say, hey, what the heck? This only company only needs $10,000. But to my mind, I'm quite sure of this, all the sophisticated investors out there are saying, wait a second, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not investing in that company at all. There's no way you can launch a product for that amount of money. There's no way. Right. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be the fool who writes the first check only to see his money wasted. Right. And, and so these companies, I think, are making a huge mistake. And, and so are the Title III platforms. They're exchanging very short-term benefits. Uh, on the upside, the downside is they're just driving away every sophisticated investor. I, I think it's a real mistake for the industry. And because I care a lot about the industry, I'm, I'm very, you know, I don't like to see it at all. Got it. Mark, thank you very much. This has been very informative uh, for me and for my audience. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's been fun. You've been listening to Funding the Dream. My guest has been Mark Rhetoric who has a great website that you can go visit to find out all kinds of information on his blog. It's at crowdfundattny.com. And he can answer a ton of questions with that blog. I've already found out a lot by reading it myself. Thanks for listening. Take care.